You're listening to Sex Gets Real with Dawn Sarah. That's me. This is a place where we explore sex, bodies, and relationships from a place of curiosity and inclusion, tying the personal to the cultural, where you're just as likely to hear tender questions about shame and the complexities of love as you are to hear experts challenging the dominant stories around pleasure, body politics, and liberation. This is about the big and the small, about sex and everything surrounding it we don't usually name. The funny, the awkward, the imperfect happen here in service to joy, connection, healing, and creating healthier relationships with ourselves and each other. So welcome to Sex Gets Real. Don't forget to hit subscribe. Hey you, welcome to this week's episode I am ridiculously excited for this conversation with Kate Kenfield. This will be the third time Kate has been on the show. And the reason we're talking is for a very exciting project that she has going on right now. You have heard me talk over and over and over again about tea and empathy cards, which is something that Kate created that helps people to name and interact with their feelings. And they are a tool that I highly, highly recommend that can be used in so many different ways. And in fact, I'll share with you a little feeling card um, poll that I just did. But she's got a Kickstarter going right now for her teen empathy cards. She wants to get them further out into the world and to update them. And so if you want to get your own tea and empathy cards, don't miss this Kickstarter. Kate's work is fantastic. We're going to spend this entire episode talking about empathy and communication and feelings and advice in relationships and self-care and emotional labor. It's so rich and it's such an incredible way for all of us to better connect with each other. But I am so, so, so excited for Kate and this Kickstarter. So um, I will share with you the feeling cards that I just pulled for myself in a couple of minutes. But before we get there, I want to let you know that starting January 2019, my one-on-one and couples coaching rates will be going up. So if you've been thinking about working with a coach, me, uh, around your relationship, your desire, your libido, your body, you need a little bit of help to get unstuck, to process, to reconnect, to change the stories that you're telling yourself because things just don't feel quite right. I would love to work with you. If you go to donsara.com, there is a work with me section where you can check out everything about my coaching practice. I will have a link in the show notes. Right now, rates are $120 an hour if you want to do pay as you go, or you can book an eight session package for $850, which works out to about $106 a session. Rates will be going up January 2019. So if you want to get that coaching, I recommend that you book now before rates go up. My practice is expanding and I would love to work with you. So I've got my deck of tea and empathy cards in front of me. And one of the incredible things about using these tea and empathy cards is you can use them on your own to just kind of gauge what you're feeling about a certain situation or life in general. You can do them with a friend, with a partner, as a way to really get 
your experience from inside your head onto the table in front of you to move the cards around, to organize them, to engage, to ask questions, to journal, whatever it is. It's so easy for us to spiral and to obsess and to get stuck and to overthink. And so being able to really externalize our feelings is a pretty powerful thing. On top of that, you know, I've been doing a lot of work lately around body trust and embodiment. One of the things that I have done with these cards is I've actually pulled different feelings cards and then thought about where in my body do I feel this feeling? How do I know I'm feeling this feeling? Kind of what lights up? What tenses up? Where is my attention drawn? And it has really helped me to get to know my body in a whole new way. So whether you're looking for new ways to get to know your body and to become more embodied, or you're just trying to kind of develop the language you have for your emotions and how you communicate them, they're such a fun, delightful tool. So I sat here just a few minutes ago and I pulled out the cards that most resonated with me in this moment. And I thought I would just share them with you. It's kind of interesting when you you just kind of do like a general poll There have been times when I've had like 40 feelings cards in front of me. Today, I have nine and um, it might be fewer, it might be more, but it just really demonstrates the, our ability to hold so much inside of ourselves and to experience so many things all at the same time. So here's some of the things that I pulled. Confused, in process, disconnected a little bit, Longing, ease, growth, evolution, competent, peaceful, and self-loving. Every single time I do this, I pull different sets of cards. So that's kind of where I am right now. If you'd love to get your hands on card on the Teen Empathy deck, um, there are some wonderful rewards with Kate's Kickstarter. So of course, the link is in the show notes and at sexgetsreal.com for this episode. Let me tell you a little bit about Kate, and then we're going to jump right in. We field a, a pretty tough listener question about a partner who's always asking for advice, but then doesn't take that advice when their partner gives it to them, plus the basics of empathy, why it's a social skill, and what we get wrong when it comes to communicating around feelings and the people that we love. Kate Kenfield is a speaker, writer, and empathy educator based in Melbourne, Australia. Her workshops, talks, and writing have improved people's emotional literacy, whether in a professional or a personal context. Kate's internationally sought-after feeling cards called Tea and Empathy have been used across the world to train doctors, students, educators, and many others to better understand, engage with, and talk about feelings in a practical and non-confrontational way, changing professional and personal interactions. Kate holds a master's in public health from the University of Melbourne and a bachelor's in anthropology from the University of California at Berkeley. She's a a frequent guest lecturer at the University of Melbourne and has provided hundreds of invited presentations in corporate settings and institutions, such as UCLA, New York University, Indiana University, and Australian National University. She regularly consults for organizations in the education, healthcare, and nonprofit sectors. So here is my delightful, eye-opening conversation with Kate. 
I forgot to mention too, Patreon supporters. If you support the show, patreon.com slash sex gets real at $3 a month and above, you get access to weekly bonus content. Sometimes it's extra interviews and conversations with guests. Sometimes it's other listener questions or adventures and things that I've been going through. If you support it $5 a month and above, you can actually lend your voice by helping me to field listener questions. So Patreon supporters, I did not put a bonus up last week because I was down in Portland for the kickoff to the Be Nourished Body Trust Provider Training, which I will be up to my eyeballs in for the next six to eight months. It's basically a graduate level program all about eating disorders, trauma, bodies. And I was down in Portland for six days to do the kickoff for that certification program. So I didn't get a chance to post last week. You'll be getting two this week. One all about my narrative therapy training because several of you wrote asking for more details. And the other one is gonna be all about the body trust work with some really yummy prompts and um, questions for you to kind of think about what body trust means. So head to patreon.com slash sex gets real to support the show and to listen to your yummy bonuses. Welcome back to the show, Kate Kenfield. I am so delighted to talk to you today. I love talking to you, Don. Thanks for having me back. You're so welcome. I love talking to you too. For listeners who have heard you before. I'm sure they're excited to hear you back. And for folks who are new to the show and haven't heard you, this is your third time on the show, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I just, yeah. I can't get enough of being one of your amazing <laughs> guests. I'm always in such a great company. I love the questions you ask me. Uh, pro tip for folks listening, Kate and I have the most amazing like Skype dates where we just geek out and talk all about life and our professional woes and all the things. And um, your your brain is something to be adored. <laughs> likewise, <laughs> likewise. I always feel so rich and full and abundant after our calls. Like I always get new insights on life in the world. It's It feels like such an amazing thing to have in my life. So thank you. Um, thank you. We're so listeners, we're just gonna love each other for this whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that that we often geek out about is around feelings and empathy and communication with good reason, because you spend a lot of your time thinking and practicing and teaching in these spaces. I think it'd be really fun for folks who maybe haven't heard previous conversations of ours for us to just start kind of basic around like, uh, how do you define empathy and why do you think it's important? Mm, yes. Um, so the way I define empathy, you can think about empathy in a lot of different ways, but the the definition that I find most useful that I teach in the trainings that I run is that empathy is about being curious about and non-judgmentally engaged with someone else's emotional world. And I think that empathy is important because it's really the backbone of every kind of relationship that we have, like whether it's our romantic or sexual relationships or whether it's our friendships or our professional relationships. It's really this kind of relationship glue that allows us to connect better and support one another better. And uh, what I've observed is just that when we improve our empathy skills, it just upgrades every single relationship that we have in our lives. And we we tend to think of empathy as a personality trait when it's actually a social skill. 
like anything else. I love how you talk about how sex is a social skill. And I think empathy is also a social skill, but it's this thing that we think of people either having or not having. Um, but it's something that I, I teach people how to improve and it's incredible to watch what happens when people get better at it. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I love so much about that definition of, you know, it's about being curious and also non-judgmental is there's, there's something that I've noticed happens in so many different kinds of relationships over time, most often with like family and with like intimate partners, is that curiosity piece kind of goes away. Mm -hmm. We stop being curious and we start being very assumptive and prescriptive. And as soon as that curiosity starts waning, the people in our lives stop feeling so interesting and mysterious and feel a little bit more stagnant and stale. And it's really hard to be empathetic when we think we know someone else's um, world and when we think we know who they are and kind of decide you know, before the interactions over what they need. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's so much in that, actually. Like, I think that it's something that can be really relaxing about long-term relationships, whether they're are intimate relationships, like romantic relationships, or they're intimate relationships, like familial ones. It's relaxing to feel that sense of certainty yes. that we know the people with whom we live or who we we see really often. Um, and, and curiosity is something that really has to be kind of worked at. Um, and, and I think people can forget that that's something that's really pivotal Mm -hmm. to making these relationships work and, and asking the right questions of the people in our lives is really, really important. Um, I think about this as, you know, it's such a skill set that you have. Um, this is one of the reasons I love being friends with you and, and talking to you. You're so good at asking the right questions to stimulate curiosity and making people feel heard. Uh, and it's it's just, uh, it's a really one of these building blocks of, of high quality empathy and um, and keeping relationships strong. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, uh, I think it, it's something that people can resist because it's, it's almost uncomfortable because in order to foster curiosity, you have to recognize in that that you don't know what's going on. It's like an acknowledgement of uncertainty. Yes. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And that's, yeah, and that's not something that we're really good at. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's something that can make us quite uncomfortable. And I think I think one of the things about um, the way we conceptualize empathy that relates to this is that um, sometimes the way that we're taught about empathy is this: it's this imagine yourself in someone else's shoes. And um, something that I think is a little bit flawed about this, like th- sometimes the way that I see empathy taught is that you're you're supposed to imagine yourself in someone else's shoes, but without that question asking, curious engagement piece. You're just supposed to imagine how you would feel if you were in someone else's shoes. Mm-hmm. And that's really quite assumptive, right? Yes. <laughs> and um, it it really doesn't, if you don't actually ask someone directly, like without direct engagement, you you really have no idea how someone else is feeling because your experience might be completely different than theirs. Yes. Yes. I, th- and, I think that's so important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really just kind of um, projection. Like I think it's, I think it's a good stimulation of the brain, like sort of imagining how someone else might be feeling. Like I think that's good to stimulate your brain in the right direction, but you don't without actually asking someone how they might be feeling or, 
um, engaging with them and getting their feedback about how they might be feeling, you really don't know. There was a really interesting study about this that um, a friend of mine who's a psychology researcher at Melbourne, at University of Melbourne, she sent this to me about how um, they did this study where um, people were supposed to imagine the way someone else was feeling and uh, and and they lined that up with how accurate these these guesses were to to how someone actually was feeling. So one one group just did that, imagine themselves in someone else's shoes. And then another group imagined how someone else is feeling, but did that direct engagement where they actually then ask that person, well, how, how are you feeling? Mm-hmm. And then that person actually told them the people who, um, the people who, who just did the imagining, but without the direct engagement were no more likely to be accurate than, um, than, than a control group who, who didn't actually imagine at all. They were just more likely to be, um, to be arrogant <laughs> and and just assuming mm. that they like they 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 were just more likely to think that they knew yeah but they weren't actually um, more accurate in their guesses it was only the people who did that direct engagement with someone mm-hmm. that actually made accurate guesses about how people felt mm. so it's yeah i mean that 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 one-on-one interaction is so pivotally important yeah i think that's such an incredible thing for us to just like really think about you know I mean that advice if we'll imagine how it is to walk a mile in someone else's shoes or you know Mm -hmm. picture what you would have done in that scenario scenario it it's only helpful as you said as kind of like a an interesting exercise for yourself because when we really think about it you know I mean I'll never know, like I will never come remotely close to know what it's like to move through the world you know as a someone in a black body or an indigenous body (laughs) or you know a body that's in a mobility device because of a certain disability I mean like it's literally just a mental exercise there's no lived experience that I have that I can draw on that would ever get me close to that I can't imagine what it's like to move through the world as a cis man I mean I can see how it is to move through the world as a (laughs) cis man for a lot of ways but you know like I don't actually know what it's like to carry that in my body and even for other people who are similar to me you know other fat people or other people who have had similar stories you know we have such different families and such different cultures I mean there's just there's we are too complex which is the beauty right I mean the the nuance and the depth that we all carry inside of us is just um, too infinite to really be able to put ourselves in someone else's shoes and I think what 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 comes up for people is the terror then in admitting you don't know and asking because culturally yeah. speaking we're kind of told we should know and to not know is a weakness yep we're taught that we need to be mind readers right right <laughs> yep and i think about how we're emotionally we're like overlapping venn diagrams right there's there's some emotional shared experience that we are going to share with other people you know we we can we can all relate to with anyone you meet there's going to be some overlapping emotional experience where you do have shared reality with someone yeah. and that can feel, that can feel amazing. And you can find those touchstones where someone's describing an emotional experience. And if you had the same experience, you would have a same shared mm-hmm. emotional constellation. Uh, but it's, it's not all going to be the same. 
And this is this is something that uh, gets highlighted beautifully in the empathy trainings that I run, where people talk about their the things that are stressing them out or feeling frustrating or overwhelming to them. And then they, um, they get the feelings cards out and they literally lay their feelings out on the table mm-hmm. and people are making, making these feelings guesses and some of them are right and some of them are wrong. And, and it's, it's incredible to see that basically that overlapping Venn diagram, but then also these incredibly unique feelings that people have about their experience. Yes. So before we move on, I'd just love to ask one more question, and it's one that I know you love talking about, yeah. which is, yeah. <laughs> what do most people get wrong when they think they're being empathetic? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> How do I nail it down to just one thing? So many things. So I think um, I'd say it's two things that I see most commonly. So one is giving unsolicited advice. This is huge. Um, they confuse empathy with advice. Um, so a, a common thing that when empathy is needed is someone's coming to someone who they need support from and with something stressful, sad, challenging in some way that they need support around. And the support person's reaction is to give advice about how they should be handling their situation. Mm-hmm. And um, advice can be wonderful and beautiful, uh, but only when it's wanted. And nearly always people need empathy in order to be able to action advice. And empathy is also a a data gathering exercise. It's hard to give someone good advice unless you really understand the feelings around what it is that they're experiencing. Mm -hmm. Their Um, feelings, not your feelings. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. People need to feel heard first. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's something that can really go wrong and people can confuse. But they're... um, in, in our culture, like we're often taught that our value is to solve people's problems. And that when, when really the, the way we are often most useful is to, um, just listen and help someone feel seen and heard. So anyway, that's one thing that people get wrong. The other one that people will do is story hijacking where someone will describe something that's emotionally challenging in some way. And then the support person will go, oh, I totally know how you feel. The same thing happened to me. And then we'll go on to describe something um, at best, like vaguely similar or at worst, something totally not similar at all. Um, and and we'll take the, the focus of the conversation away from the person who's actually needing support. And people will often really think that that's empathy. They'll think, oh, I'm, I'm sharing my feelings that are similar to this person's and this will be useful to them. Um, and once in a while that can be useful if it's actually a similar story and what the person needing support is feeling is a sense of loneliness and isolation. Mm-hmm. And they feel like I'm the only person that's ever gone through this. Um, that there's a time and a place for that story sharing, but more often than not what the support person needs is to just be listened to about uh, their own their own pain. Yeah. So those are the two things that I see people really um, not doing so well around empathy. Story hijacking is one that I default to, especially when I'm um, feeling very uncomfortable or I'm not quite sure what's needed. You know, if I'm if I'm not well resourced and just kind of really thinking like, what does this person need? My default will be to story hijack. Of like, mm. oh, well, let me share a little bit about something that I went through that sounds like it's kind of similar. And sometimes I do well at then like circling back and kind of like, 
bringing it back to them. But sometimes it's like, I kind of don't know what to do. I'm really uncomfortable in this situation or I'm feeling not resourced to hold the space and I didn't share that with you. So now I'm going to like share this story and hope, hope that it wraps it up. Right. It's kind of like, yeah. my, <laughs> like exit strategy in a way, you know, so yeah, uh, yeah. it's, it's nice to see those patterns when, when we're able to, so that we can make better choices when we want to make better choices. Yeah. I think story hijacking can also happen. People have their own unheard pain. Yeah. Like um, when someone shares their pain with us, it can be this beacon of permission that, oh God, it's safe to talk about pain now. (laughs) And then it triggers in us like, oh gosh, now I can, can I talk about my pain now? Like, is that safe now? (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. you see this a lot around grief, like just as a as a society, we have all this unheard pain around grief. Um, and that this can be a real harmful dynamic that happens. Like someone, someone loses someone and then they talk about it. And then you get this in, intense story hijacking with, um, people then telling their grief story. That's, um, that's a bit old and someone with the fresh grief story doesn't get their pain seen mm-hmm. and can feel, can feel that really, um, really hijacked in a, in a way that's, um, can be quite destructive. Yeah. Yeah. Something else that I've really learned from you when it comes to empathy and being able to witness is the importance of caring for self and setting boundaries (laughs) and also asking consent, you know, like is now a good time to share about my day is now a good time to, you know, do whatever. And sometimes falling apart just, has to happen and then afterwards like oh sorry you know how are you feeling how can I support you because I just kind of like had to verbal vomit Um, (laughs) and you know and so like doing that tending and that caring and giving people the opportunity to opt in or opt out uh and so self-care is a big part of empathy oh absolutely I think um yeah something I frequently say is that sustainable empathy requires sustainable self-care like this this expectation that we should all be highly empathetic all the time mm-hmm. <laughs> is just completely unrealistic like I, I think um empathy is the backbone of healthy relationships but it's also emotional labor and needs to be tended to as such yeah. and yeah so in the in the trainings that I do around, empathy, I, I also teach about, um, sustainable self-care and what that really looks like, like self-care with, um, with boundaries and, um, self-care that's, you know, beyond spa days. Like I think spa days are wonderful and, um, I'm, I'm all for a bath bomb and a, and a pedicure. Um, but how do you, how do you practice self-care that's, um, that's beyond that? And that's really bespoke and, and customized for, for you. Cause it's not a, it's not a one size fits all thing. Yeah. The last time we chatted, you shared with me this new wonderful little phrase that you had come up with. Because often when we think about self-care, we think about those kind of isolating activities of I'm going to mm-hmm. take a bath, I'm going to read a book, I'm going to go for a walk. And you had shared with me this concept of pair care. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So pair care is just based on this idea that self-care doesn't have to be solitary. And I'm not, I'm certainly not the first person that's said that. Um, I just like the term pair care cause it rhymes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I, when I, when I talk about self-care, I, I, 
I define it as that it's self-directed, but it's not solitary. It doesn't have to be solitary. And I think it's important that self-care is self-directed because ultimately we only have control of ourselves. Um, but sometimes the most powerful forms of self-care are things that we do in tandem with others. Mm-hmm. So I, one of the things I often think about, um, a lot of the people that I train are healthcare providers. And one of the most effective forms of self-care that they have um, are debriefs after confronting patient interactions. Like they'll have a, um, a, cha- a challenging patient interaction of some kind, um, something that would be likely to cause them secondary trauma or um, just something upsetting or challenging that happens. And, and often one of the, the most um, healthy things that they can do is find another healthcare provider with whom they work and just debrief about that for a few minutes. Yeah. And it's something that they can fit into their incredibly busy work day. Um, and that's really self-care for them. And I, you know, I think, I think this is true for people in a lot of different fields. Um, if you just have that person on call who understands the nature of your work, who gets you, and you can just do that efficiently and someone else who has good emotional labor skills, that's something that can really help ease the burden of your life. Right. But there's, there's other types of pair care too, like someone who will go on a walk with you or someone you can, um, talk on the phone with, or someone that will go to the float pods with you or, Uh (laughs) um, (laughs) um, you know, I mean, there's lots of different ways to do pair, pair care, like someone who will bring you soup when you're sick or, um, I mean, there's, there's lots of different ways that that can look. Yeah. I'm thinking, you know, one of the things that's been the most um, rejuvenating for me over the past year has been exploring play mm-hmm. and being able to explore that play with others is endlessly fun and also endlessly nourishing to get to, you know, fart around in the pool doing ridiculous things like, like we have done <laughs> or, you know, like Alex and I have been playing Frisbee a lot lately. And so we go to the park and we and we don't just play Frisbee. We do ridiculous versions of Frisbee, you know. That sounds that sounds like the two of you. Like I, re- yeah. I remember play, playing in the pool with you the last time I visited Vancouver was was like a peak travel experience for me. <laughs> Yay, good. (laughs) Yeah, but just, you know, like, I can certainly do fun things on my own, and I love alone time. Oh, yeah. But being able to, like, laugh and be ridiculous and get my body moving with someone else and, um, you know, sharing that space is healing for me and it fills my tanks and it makes me feel connected. and, And that's a way of caring for myself and my body and being able to do that with someone that I... Um, really care about is is um, a gift. I I feel a lot of gratitude for that. Yeah, and it's I mean it's a gift that you can provide others. Like I I often think about um the 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 what are the ways of doing care like that that come more naturally to you than maybe to others. It's a like it's a profound gift that you can can give to your your friends and you know, your loved ones. Like it would never have occurred to me to do handstands <laughs> in the pool. Like that's <laughs> like, I, I can, I, I'm not a you know, not playful person, but that that would just wouldn't have occurred to me. And I had so much fun in the pool with you and Alex. Like that was, that was like next level play <laughs> for me. Yes. 
<laughs> that was that was that was some some hardcore pair mm-hmm. care that you two facilitated for me. <laughs> oh, that feels wonderful. Yay, good. <laughs> you are welcome back anytime for more handstands and cartwheels. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I talk about <laughs> I talk about these different types of yeah. self-care in the trainings that I do. And and um one of the types I talk about, um, I talk about Meg John Barker's um kind self-care and reflective self-care. Mm-hmm. And um I love these concepts that they talk about. And um reflective self-care is the the these these forms of self-care where you're really reflecting on your emotional experience of life. And that's something that I'm often facilitating for for friends of mine. Um and but I think these um kind self-care things that, you know, like playfulness would really fall under that umbrella is, I mean, that's a, you and me and Alex in the pool, that's a perfect example of you facilitating that for me. And it, it even made me think, you know, I, I attended uh, the ASDA conference in August, which is all about, you know, health at every size and reducing weight stigma inside of the medical industrial complex and uh, mental health fields. And one of the things that got talked about a lot was that for a lot of people who either have disabilities or who are in fat bodies, literally taking care of the vessel of going to the doctor or going to the dentist mm-hmm. um, can be really highly traumatic. And one mm-hmm. of the ways that people are able to actually do that is to have someone come with them to be an advocate and to be able to do a lot of the labor um, so that this vessel can get the attention that it needs from people who can provide very specialized kinds of care. And it, and it occurs to me that that's another version of pair care. You know, when we can show up for someone and really help to hold space and to advocate and to help them take care of themselves in ways that they otherwise might not be able to. Um, that's a, that's a beautiful way to do self care with someone that you care about. I love that example. That's spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. That's really powerful. Mm. I can think about, um, just times in my experience navigating the healthcare system with my, with my migraines and, you know, how often I've had, uh, you know, a friend come with me just because I didn't have the energy to navigate uh, kind of the the bureaucracy <laughs> of healthcare, yeah. right? Um, and and not even dealing with something like weight stigma on top of that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And just how how incredibly kind and loving that kind of um, uh, that kind of care could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So uh, for people who have listened to the show for a while, they know that I am a huge fan of your tea and empathy cards, uh, that it's been a tool that has helped me and that I've also used with a lot of my clients in coaching and, you know, as part of the Explore More Summit. And, you know, for me, one of the most profound things about this is, you know, kind of going back to the conversation we had at the top of the hour of we can't ever really know someone's internal experience but having an Mm -hmm. opportunity to actually externalize your feelings to get them out of your head and into physical space that can be manipulated and shared and discussed you know by pulling cards out and saying here's how i'm feeling about this thing or here's my the feeling that's most prominent right now and and kind of having a thing that you can hold and move and grapple with So I know you've got a Kickstarter that's going right now because we're in October Mm -hmm. when this airs. Uh, So 
Before we move on to the next question, can you just tell us a little bit about your Kickstarter? Yeah, absolutely. So I've, uh, I'm doing a Kickstarter to be able to get these cards out to more people and to improve the design. So I've been, I've been selling my TN empathy cards for a couple of years now. Um, originally I created them just as a tool to, um, for my, for my workshops that I was teaching, um, around empathy. And then participants in my workshops asked if they could buy them. (laughs) Um, and I started selling them print on demand. Um, but I've, I've realized that I need to make them better. So, um, I'm doing the Kickstarter so that I can create a custom box and an instruction manual and make some improvements to the cards and the deck. And, um, yeah, I'm super excited about them. So I, but I need to raise some initial capital so that I can actually make those changes. So I'll just say for anyone listening, uh, whether you want to be able to just do some of that reflective self-care and to really get curious about your own feelings and your experiences and often the nuance and the complexity, these cards are such a gift in doing that. But they can be such an incredible way to connect with a loved one and to have new curious conversations, especially around stuff that can be really tender and scary. And um, one of the other things that I've been doing recently is I've been working with my therapist around um, finding new pathways to be embodied and to, you know, be in my body and to experience it and to kind of map my body and where I feel certain things. And I've actually used the TN empathy cards to help with that of being able to like pull a feeling like right now connection is at the top of the deck and ask myself like, where in my body do I feel connection? Mm. How do I know I'm feeling connection? Where, where do I feel that? And where do I feel silliness or where do I feel resentment? You know, and and it's given me, you know, Tara Brock has this quote that as soon as you enter the body, you enter the wilderness. Mm. And I find that that your cards and having these visual cues of this particular emotion and then being able to ask myself and, you know, a lot of the time the answer is I'm not sure yet. And that's okay. But just being able to like, wow, where do I I've never thought about that. Where do I feel resentment? How do I know I'm feeling resentment and where do I feel connection how do I know I'm feeling it uh, has been an incredible exercise of like kind of tying together the heady with the embodiment piece Hmm. thank you I feel so honored at how you use them (laughs) I think it's it's um it's been amazing for me to see how other people have found innovative ways to use them because I so, so much of why I created them was because they were a thing that I wanted to exist like I, I often think about when I'm feeling something, feeling a constellation of feelings that is um, overwhelming to me. It is so helpful for me to get them out of my head. Like if I think about a, a situation that is challenging for me in some ways, I can often identify a handful of feelings that I have. But when I have the cards, I can I can go through the deck and pull them out. And that process is so profoundly cathartic for me mm. and like having the cards in my hands, like, I, like, like what you're describing to that, um, getting it out of your head and being able to touch the cards and move them around, like makes that connection, that kind of brain body connection easier and be, makes being mindful and present with your feelings easier. Yeah. Yeah. 
and then so, it also oh, oh sorry you, go, go ahead, ahead. <laughs> <laughs> oh I was just gonna say that and then the the kind of the next piece to that is um I mean, you, you can just have it be a solo self-care practice where you're getting those feelings out of your head and and processing them on your own. But then when you get them out on a table, it also has that ability to communicate that to someone else if you're wanting to communicate how you're feeling, Yeah, which is difficult for so many of us. It is. It can be so hard to say to someone, I'm feeling excited and nervous, a little you know, shy and confused and frustrated, you know, it's like when to to articulate those things clearly and to have them held, especially when there's so many, you know, I think that's one of the things that surprises people like in teen empathy workshops and stuff is like, you know, most of the time, unless there's something really acute going on, there's not just like one or two feelings floating around. Sometimes, (laughs) sometimes there's five, 10, sometimes there's fucking like 30. (laughs) Right. Cause it's like work and friends and family and my body and like my health and my partner and my fucking cat. And, you know, I mean, it's like, there's, (laughs) there's a lot going on. It's a, it's, it's amazing how, um, how that, that's something that I've needed to start saying to people because they'll get these meta feelings about their feelings <laughs> Yes, where they'll, they'll be, they'll be, uh, doing the, the T and empathy exercise and people will be making the guesses about what they're feeling. And then partway through they go, Oh shit, I have so many feelings and I have a story about what it means to have this many feelings about something. Yes. <laughs> and then, and they will have shared something that's relatively minor. You know, it will be it will be something like, you know, they've had a, a frustrating situation at work. You know, it's not necessarily the biggest, most traumatic thing that's ever happened to them. But they realize that they have, you know, I don't know, 15 feelings about it. And then they and then that story kicks in yeah. about how, what it like, what kind of person has this many feelings about a thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've realized that I have to say it is completely normal to have this many feelings about something. It's normal to have even more feelings about it. And this is just, um, you know, we're just not normally prompted with that many, um, that many names of feelings. Um, but it's valuable. Um, and, and if they can let go of that story, uh, they end up feeling quite a lot of relief at having someone you know, help them name all of those feelings and, and get all of that language to describe what it is that they're feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one time, uh, someone in my life and I had a really challenging exchange. And shortly after that, they sent me a picture of their teen empathy cards and they had spread them out and there was about 20, 25 of them. And I was kind of like, here's, here's where I am right now. And all of the cards, you know, they were like, I was just reflecting on our relationship and all of the cards were these like beautiful, generous, um, easy feelings. And there was just like one card on there that said frustrated Mm. and all of the other feelings were, you know, like loved and appreciated and and excited and equality and honesty. And and it was such an incredible moment of like, we're kind of in the weeds right now. 
you know, we, <laughs> we, we had some words and we had some feels and this isn't easy. And yet to know, like, yes, this person's feeling frustrated and they're feeling like 19 other things that are all so loving and generous and connected and beautiful. It just kind of gave me this sense of like, okay, it's more than just this immediate story. Mm-hmm. You know, this is like one tree in the forest. And yes, we can talk about that frustration, but we can also talk about all these other things, you know, like, tell me more about this connected feeling. Tell me more about this excited feeling and respected feeling. And I mean, it and it, it was a really wonderful opportunity to be able to say, we're not just this singular problem. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's such a powerful thing when you're using the cards with a friend or a partner and they're laying them out. Just the question, tell me more about this thing that you're feeling. Tell me yeah. more about this card and why this one's coming up for you. That's just such a great curious question that can yield such powerful connection. Yeah. Yeah. And even, you know, using the cards to like do a debrief about the sex you're having or mm-hmm. the sex you're not having or to do a debrief mm-hmm. about your body and how you're feeling in it that day. I mean, there's there's such an incredible array of ways to use this for pleasure and connection, you know, and whether it's the cards or just a list of feelings that you print off from some website, it's it's really how can we use some tools that make it easier for us to now engage in a dialogue and to to find that curiosity and to to just hold space for each other and uh that i think is that's such a different way of relating than so many of the relationships that i had like earlier in my life especially in my 20s where it was just kind Mm -hmm. of you know at each other and on a good day maybe we'd hear some of it but mostly it was just kind of talking at and talking past and you know, maybe we'd have a good day and the rest of the days we were just kind of not really understanding each other. Yeah, absolutely. I think it changes everything when we get more words for feelings Mm -hmm. and can be present with other people's feelings. Like that just changes everything. Well, speaking of getting present with other people's feelings, Mm -hmm. uh, I got a listener question a couple of weeks ago that I Mm. was like, well, I'm talking to Kate soon, and this seems like a Kate question. So how are you feeling about fielding a question with me? That sounds great. Let's get to it. Okay. So Jeremy wrote in, and it says, Hey, Don, Jeremy here. Thanks for your show. I've learned a lot. I'm writing because my wife and I have been together for 15 years. In that time, we've had some great times and some not-so-great times. The one thing that I really struggle with is my wife never listens to my advice. Now, I know you've talked about this before, and I have tried listening. I've tried asking questions, and then she asks me what to do over and over about the same couple of problems. I tell her what I think, she agrees with me, and then she doesn't change her behavior. We've gotten into so many fights because it seems like no matter what I try, she just keeps getting stuck in the same dramas with work, with her family, with her friends, even with us. I've tried being super blunt and being super patient. I've listened to her cry and rage, but no matter what I do or don't do, she keeps doing the same things she says she won't do. Any advice for me? I feel like I'm at the end of my rope. 
There's only so much listening I can do when the things she's upset about and complaining about are the same things she was upset about and complaining about two or five or 10 years ago. I love her, but this is slowly killing me. Help, Jeremy. Goodness. <laughs> yes. Thank you for this, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like there's quite a lot going on between the two of them. Yeah. Oh, okay. Where do we start? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, in a dynamic like this, I mean, it sounds like he's trying quite hard to implement some of what I'm, I'm sure the advice that you've already given is what I would give right off the bat, which is, uh, n- not giving unsolicited advice ever, <laughs> which I, I imagine from what he's described has probably been his MO historically is when his wife has come to him seeking support, he has been giving her advice rather than lovely, non-judgmental, present listening. Yep. And, you know, it sounds like he's tried a lot of different strategies, but part of me, part of me wonders um, how, how his, how, how his listening strategies have actually landed with her. Mm-hmm. Like that's something that I would be really curious about. Um, the other thing is that I I wonder how um, attached he is to fixing all of the problems in her life that are outside of their marriage. Yeah, like the in her work and in her family and her friends. Um, it sounds like he's really heavily invested in in fixing those, which is something that um, can feel really heavy and burdensome in relationships. And and those are often things we can't fix about our partners. Um, but I can, you know, I mean, I can understand his frustration there with, um, you know, with her not implementing, um, you know, that, that advice. But I think he also has to kind of, to some extent, distance himself from that. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. 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 The, the unsolicited advice thing, I think, is is especially for people who have been in long-term relationships. You know, I've seen this pattern in a lot of couples' work that I've done, which we talked about a little bit earlier, which is, you know, there's a lot of comfort and those rhythms and those rituals that we can get into with the people that we have in our lives for long periods of time, whether it's family or friends or, you know, intimate partners. But with that comfort often comes a lack of, of curiosity and sometimes we even Mm -hmm. get a little judgmental like you should do better we've talked about this before why are we here again you know that's that's judgment coming in and so I think often when we're talking to someone whether whether we're saying it or not if other people can pick up that subtle judgment and that subtle exasperation they've already shut down yeah you know, so it's hard to feel heard when you know the other person is not really holding space for you non-judgmentally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder that too with um, with the the attempts at listening when you've had years of offering unsolicited advice. Like it's it can there can be some healing that needs to happen there. Yes. Like in 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 my experience, people need to feel really heard in order for advice to really land with them. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, and obviously like, I mean, this is true for any question that you're getting. We don't know what's going on with her and what exactly the problems are in her friends and Mm -hmm. family and work. Right. And, and what that, what that drama entails. But, um, you know, what, what I've often seen happen in, in relationships and, um, in dynamics like this is that, um, what people are wanting from their partner is not someone to fix their life, but someone to provide a soft place to land yeah. from the rest of their life, not someone to provide solutions, but that takes, um, you know, a different skill set than we're often, than we're often taught. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it requires a lot of, you have to be humble, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to say, I really don't know what you're going through and I really don't know what would fix this, but I want to show up for you anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also curious, you know, sometimes, I mean, I, I, let's not be fooled folks. I have done, I have done this shit, but sometimes we complain and we feel big feelings when we're feeling stuck and frustrated because we want things to change, but we're not yet at a point where we're ready to invest mm-hmm. in the discomfort that's required to make the change happen. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it, there might be some of that happening where she wants something to change, but she wants it to be easy or she wants it to magically happen. You know, I spent so many years ma- wishing that I would just wake up and my body would magically be different, that there would be a magical pill or a fairy godmother or something that would make me not have to be in this body that I felt so much anger towards. And, you know, it, the same can happen with work where we feel stuck. You know, well, if I take this chance and I actually do something different? What if I lose my job and then I lose my stability? So it's easier to just be angry and complain about it because I don't want to risk losing being able to pay the mortgage, you know? And so there might be some of that going on too of she may not be ready to actually do the really, really hard, scary things. And in the meantime, until she becomes ready or she's ready to just move past it, you know, there's just going to be a lot of of discomfort because the only thing that she can do is lament and vent and complain, or at least that's what she thinks. Right. Yeah. And, and in fairness, like that may be profoundly draining for him. I mean, he's saying he's at the end of his rope and you know, what, what he might be need to be evaluating is what does he need to be doing to, to, be better resourced or create better boundaries around how much support he's giving. And, um, yeah, I mean, that might be something that they need to be visiting in couples counseling or, um, yeah. Cause I mean, it sounds like he's quite exasperated. Yeah. So that either needs to be like a boundary setting thing or a perspective changing thing, or both of them need to be getting support Mm -hmm. outside the marriage so that they're not, um, draining each other. I think that's such such an invaluable point of so often we we burden people in our lives because you know especially I'm thinking about like in monogamous relationships but it can be you know all kinds of of relationships where there's that one person that we go to for so many things and it can be so hard to know I'm the person that they always come to 
you know, when mm-hmm. things are hard or when they're struggling and you don't want to let them down. But when we have multiple places to turn, when we have multiple resources for support, we have multiple people who can hold that space, there's so much more generosity that can show up because mm-hmm. then we're not feeling that that drain and that burden. I mean, he sounds exhausted. And yeah, he really does. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, I think you're so right. The boundaries could be so important of, you know, like, it's okay to kindly and firmly tell someone, like, I love you so much and I really want to support you. I'm feeling really exhausted right now and I don't think I can show up for you in that way. So is this something we could do later or is there someone else you can call? Because I want you to feel supported and heard. I'm just not sure I can do that for you now. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great script. Yeah. That's a really, really great script. It's like, it's long, but stitch that on a pillow. Right. Exactly. (laughs) It's, it's, it's a little more generous than not now, not again, which is kind of where it sounds like Jeremy is at, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's two things like from, I, I I think about this a lot in my work um, because I've seen, I've seen this is just that um, part of why people can get so exhausted with emotional labor is when they're really attached to fixing everyone's problems. Yeah. And when they can, when they actually increase their empathy skill, it can actually be less exhausting to do emotional labor. It's still labor. It's still effort. But when you don't feel solely responsible for fixing someone's life and what you're actually doing in that moment is just, making space for their feelings and listening. And then at the end of that interaction, you have good boundaries and you're just done with the interaction. Mm -hmm. It, it can actually be, um, it can actually be a whole lot less draining than feeling like, Oh my God, I have to help this person solve all their problems. Right. Like, like there, there's actually a skill set there that can make the whole interaction less draining. Yes. But I think there's this, this other skill set on top of it around, um, self-care and self-awareness of, how much, how, how well resourced am I in this moment to give this person emotional support? Mm-hmm. Right. And can I show up generously right now? Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a really important question that we often, especially in intimate relationships, don't ask ourselves because we've got those patterns that we're already in of like, oh, great. She came home. She threw her bag down. I know what that means. I'm already on the defensive because I'm already feeling exhausted because we've done this a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and what's the overall health of the relationship? Because it sounds right. like in, in with Jeremy and his wife, there's quite a buildup of resentment. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's also he's really been making a lot of a lot of effort, but that he's, you know, built up a lot of resentment over the years. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And there is so much that a couples counselor could help with, a therapist, a coach, just, you know, someone that can help Jeremy and his partner to get unstuck because, you know, adding in new paths to communication, creating new memories, trying new techniques, but with the safety of someone who can really hold that space as you kind of navigate that, that place can be such a powerful experience for people. But too often, just kind of culturally, you know, with this like pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality, we feel like we've got to just kind of like muscle through it. And um, often that just digs us deeper into a hole that we really can't see the light anymore and we can't get out of and so you know my hope is you know jeremy opens the email with you know we've had some great times and some not so great times and 
great. You know, find find someone who can help you to find more of those great times and help you to practice some of these skills because, um, you know, just doing the same thing over and over again is just going to make things worse. And it sounds like whatever you've been doing to now um, isn't serving either of you. So let's not do that anymore. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much for helping me to feel that. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. My pleasure. And I hope I hope it's helpful to Jeremy and his wife, too. Yeah, I hope that gives Jeremy something to think about and maybe, you know, chew on and even talk to his wife about maybe trying some different things or getting some help. So thank you so much for listening to the show, Jeremy, and for, for trusting me and us with your question. I wish you the very, very best. Yeah. So Kate, for people who want to learn more about your Tia and Empathy Kickstarter and just stay in touch because you're super rad and you're doing cool things <laughs> in the world, how can they find you? Well, I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Kate Kenfield. And you can find more about Tia and Empathy at tianempathy.org. Woohoo. Nice and easy. Well, I will have links in our show notes and at sexgetsreal.com so that you guys can all check out the TN Empathy cards because if you don't have some yet, you're going to want some. And if you do have some, but you're thinking about holiday gifts, um, this is a stellar gift. Like all the coolest people I know pull out their TN Empathy cards and, and do little readings and things like that. So join the club and feel your feelings <laughs> and share them with the world because goodness knows there's a lot of us putting out our little pictures of our feelings <laughs> cards on social media. Uh, so it'll, yeah. it'll have to be, it'll be, have to be holiday cards for next year. Cause I don't think we'll have them, uh, in production for this Christmas and, and yeah. holiday season, but, uh, but yes, <laughs> yeah. Print out a little certificate, you know, like, Hey, I got to, I got this cool thing for you and it's going to come out next year, but here's your little like placeholder gift and you get to be part of the cool crowd that was on that first flight. So get on it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So uh, to everybody listen who listened, thank you so much for being here with us. Of course, I appreciate you tuning in and sending in your questions. If you've got any questions or stories you want to share, just head to sexgetsreal.com. There's a little send a note link that you can use. You can also send it in anonymously if you're not up for sharing your name. And to you, Kate, thank you so much for being here with me and doing this with, with all of us. It was wonderful. Oh, thank you so much, Don. It's always such a pleasure talking to you and interacting with the amazing community that you've built. It's always such a joy. Thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. To everybody who tuned in, I will, of course, be back next week. So until then, enjoy your week and think about those feels. You might lead you somewhere interesting. Bye. You used to light up like a spark. Now you're blue. Treading water in the dark. A huge thanks to the vocal few, the married duo behind the music featured in this week's intro and outro. Find them at vocalfew.com. Head to patreon.com slash sex gets real to support the show and get awesome weekly bonuses. As you look towards the next week, I wonder what will you do differently that rewrites an old story? revitalizes a stuck relationship or helps you to connect more deeply with your pleasure. So don't be ashamed.